Hello, this is Edie. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew first how much we appreciate you, and that in honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, right now at Heinemann.com, you can get 15% off and free shipping on all Heinemann professional books. This offer runs until May 11th. Head on over after the episode. Some restrictions apply. See the website for details. Welcome to Beyond Letters, a Heinemann podcast featuring LGBTQ educators, their stories, strategies, and practical advice for creating safe and inclusive educational spaces for queer youth and educators alike. If this is your first time listening, we invite you to go back and listen to our preview episode. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Maggie Beatty Roberts. And I'm Kate Roberts. And I was curious, Mm -hmm. Kate Roberts, why are we doing this podcast? Uh, Well, the reason I was thinking of for this session is so that we are not alone. I know that in my journey, I've needed community. And I know that there are educators out there who maybe want to do more to be an ally to LGBTQ plus kids and teachers and families. And I think sometimes it's easy to feel alone. Mm. Um, So one of the reasons why we want to do this series is to create a kind of mini community here on the internet. I love that. (laughs) Speaking of mini community, I mean, we have have the right guest here. We do. (laughs) So it's my pleasure to introduce Colleen Cruz. She is the author of many professional books for teachers, including a young adult novel. She began her career as a classroom teacher in Brooklyn and has spent the last many years uh, as a lead staff developer at the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project, where she currently holds the position of the Director of Innovation. We are delighted to welcome Colleen to the podcast. So excited to be here. I feel like it's only fair to mention that not only does Colleen hold all those titles, but she is also one of our dearest friends and soul sisters. (laughs) So Colleen, I feel like we know a lot of your story, but we were wondering if you could share a bit of it here with the people listening. Sure. I grew up in um, kind of a conservative part of Southern California, but I did come out um, when I was in college and I was out in grad school. And when I started teaching, one of the things that was interesting, and I don't think I could have imagined as I was a kid growing up, is that my principal who hired me was gay and out and had been sort of foremost in bringing uh, LGBT curriculum into New York City schools. And then I had on my hallway uh, across the hall, the person who was assigned to me as a mentor was also gay. So I felt very much surrounded by people who were out and proud. And looking back now, I had no idea just how lucky I was. I mean, I knew where I came from and how that was unusual, but where I was in the world that having these people around me 
it was interesting because I was teaching elementary school. So it was a different kind of out. And it was the 90s when I started teaching. And I wasn't in a serious relationship. So there were certain limits, you know, just with the age of the kids and things like that. But it was an interesting thing to grow up as a teacher. At the same time, I was also sort of like finding my footing as a as a person and being more and more out in the world. So in a way for you, there wasn't like a start date, right? Like the Mm -hmm. moment that you started teaching, you also were gay educator. Yeah, very, very much. It's funny, Mm -hmm. because I definitely had like a coming out period in my Mm -hmm. life. But it, it had already happened before I became a teacher. And because everybody in the building who was gay was out, it didn't feel it would have been odd for me to be not out. So if you were to like break that down, like, cause it is a pretty, I think, relatively unique experience, right? I know I didn't have the experience. I know Maggie, I did not have that. I haven't heard that story a lot. Um, Like what were, if you were to name like the things that made it possible for you to like, not possible, you're saying you're sort of surrounded in it like air in a way. Right. But like, if you could distill it down to like things that made that happen or made that environment feel so comfortable. Part of it, oddly, was economics at the time Mm -hmm. where I taught. I wanted to teach in the same neighborhood I could afford to live. And living in New York City, it's kind of limiting. So the neighborhood that I interviewed in and the principal who interviewed me, that particular neighborhood was a neighborhood I knew I could afford to live in and wanted to live in. And it actually is considered one of the gay meccas, still one of the gay meccas (laughs) of the world. And I remember when I met the principal, I was pretty impressed by you know it's hard to imagine but at the time it was 1996 it was not that usual for a male principal to be out but I was drawn to that and I was drawn to being able to afford to live in the neighborhood and and you know I have in general I have a lot of isms about me you know I'm Mexican-American I'm disabled and I'm gay and I just didn't want to be on the vanguard when it came to my identity anymore. Like I wanted to be just part of the crowd in some ways. So I sought it out and decided I, I was sort of ready to just be in a place where it was a little bit more comfortable. Not that it was all smooth sailing. It it, certainly, there was bumps in the road, but I definitely chose that position in part because it felt comfortable to be fully who I was. And I was wondering if you could look back at your younger self in that position and your ability to teach under the influence of everything that you are. And I know I didn't have that experience. I I remember teaching in the shadows a little bit or withholding. um, And I didn't know if you had any insight about that. I definitely know that it felt oddly freeing and uncomfortable. Like there were times that felt nerve wracking because I'm a pessimist by nature. And I always sort of thought, oh, when's the time going to come where this is going to be a problem? But at the same time, it was hard to sort of completely bend to that tendency when there were several different people around me who were really mentors and examples. And I knew enough from my own past and experiences and things that I had grappled with in my younger years that bad and hard things could happen to people. So I definitely brought an empathy to teaching. And I think sometimes one of the things that's kind of 
interesting about me is in many different ways I pass, like I pass as straight, I pass as white, I pass as able-bodied. And so I'm constantly coming out. Mm -hmm. Like it's just constantly having to talk about who I am in part just so people don't say stupid things to me. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, And so I feel like when I was in the classroom, I found myself doing that as well. More so, I think, with the grown-ups than the kids, in part because of the age I taught it, there wasn't a whole lot of talking about romance. It would have been kind of odd, actually. <laughs> kids, I went on this great day last night. <laughs> but I didn't hide who I was. Like, mm-hmm. you know, kids saw me later on when I was involved in a serious relationship with the person who later became my wife. I didn't hide who I was, and parents knew who I was. And I think it was an interesting thing to, to see parents coming out to me or, you know, cause there were, um, I don't think I ever had a two dad family as a classroom teacher, but I definitely had two moms. And then later on, you know, there were kids who later on grew up and came out and just the way they respond to me is different. And I, I one day I would like to ask some of them, like, what was it like to have hmm. a person that was out? when you were a kid, particularly the ones who ended up being LGBT in some fashion. And when they got older, I just think it's stunning the dichotomy between being so out and visible and accepted, right. While at the same time passing Mm -hmm. and having to come out in tandem with that. I'm just holding that because it, it feels like a delicate dance, right? <laughs> to be around everybody who can kind of like see you for who you are and at the same time have to live your coming out story over and over again with a variety of different shades of your identity. Well, that makes me think also if we shift to, like I know that now, Colleen, you are in many schools, right? Um, yeah. Around the country and you have been for years. And so I'm assuming that most of those schools don't have that kind of, I mean, the, what strikes me about your story is just the like strength in numbers. Do you know what I mean? You just mm-hmm. had people who were out in your school who led the way for you or created this sort of environment where you could find your voice inside of that. So if you were to, in your experience, like give schools that don't have that strength in numbers, right? Just in terms of just population, they don't have the out principal, they don't have the out teacher across the hall. Like, what do you see that teachers can do to help create a more open environment for students, teachers, families? I think it depends on the role in your identity to start it's going to seem like a strange sort of non sequitur, but go with me for a minute. Um, <laughs> no, I'm non sequitur, Colleen. <laughs> but I, I was once working on a, a YA novel that involved a ghost, and my writing teacher at the time said I was making it too big of a deal that she was a ghost, mm-hmm. and that I instead had to make it like the way psychic Sylvia Brown acts, like it's no big deal. Yeah when you act like that, people just accept it more. Mm -hmm. And I sort of feel like for people who feel like they can be out, I'm definitely not the person who will tell you everyone has to be out because I know there's different situations. But if you feel like you can be out and you want to be out, I feel like 
that's sort of the way I've lived my life, like psychic Sylvia Brown. Like I don't explain myself. I just happen to be gay and I mention it all the time and there's no big show about it. I just talk about my family. I talk about my life and I don't make excuses and there isn't shame attached to it. And there's no big coming out moment. And that may be in part because I'm so in practice and I do it constantly but I feel like my attitude about it, my sort of nonchalance and everydayness, as if it's not a big deal, which I don't really think it actually is, makes it easier for people. And I think sometimes when I'm in what could be perceived as hostile environments or possibly hostile environments, my comfort with it and my sort of normalcy and nonchalance about it, I think helps make it easier for the people around me to be accepting. It also sort of disarms people who might feel fear or anger. So that's one thing. I, I feel sometimes that making something a really big deal sometimes makes people feel like they need to have a really big reaction. Yep. And when I just sort of mention my wife when I'm doing a presentation, I feel like it's it makes it easier for people to just respond in kind. So that makes me think like, you know, I could imagine, you know, some teachers, let's say they're straight. I don't know why I said that like a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But that like, if I want to be an ally, like I don't need to have like a huge unit on like LGBTQ Mm. rights, right? I don't have to do like a big announcement or a big lesson but maybe I could spend more time just mm. mentioning gay people with that kind of nonchalance, yeah. nonchalantness, right? Like that I could just talk about it as if it's not a big deal and model that it's not a big deal. Right. Like not a big old gay shelf on, you know, <laughs> I mean, I love June and pride month and all of that, yeah. but I also think that there's something about just having books on the shelf, stories you tell, mm-hmm. even if you're straight, like that you mention your friends and your family members, who are gay as naturally mm-hmm. as people who are not. Mm-hmm. And I think that the normalcy of it makes a huge difference. And I think the interactions for straight folks who want to support their colleagues and their students, I think asking about people in kids' lives and asking about their moms or asking about, like, if you're sure that they're out you know, not using euphemisms and, Mm -hmm. you know, like letting it just be part of the natural conversation. Like one of my colleagues, when we would be in situations that were sort of read as hostile, they would ask about her husband and she would answer. And then she would ask about my spouse. Mm -hmm. And and it was just a way that she did it that made it that they had to turn their eyes and look at me and treat me with the same response. And there was no nastiness about it. It was just Mm -hmm. that everyday nature. I mean, it's kind of awesome because in a way, you know, I know that some teachers I work with who want to do more, but feel afraid, they feel afraid because of like parent pushback or, you know, that kind of like upheaval that can happen if people get offended by, you know, a read aloud or something like that. Right. So we've talked a lot in this series about like figuring out where you are and what you can do and what action you can take it is really hard to like get up in arms about someone mentioning a gay person in passing with Mm -hmm. a knock on air, right? Mm -hmm. Like what letter are you going to write to the school district (laughs) about Mm -hmm. that? 
So it's really interesting to think of that as a form of true activism and allyship, right? To be able to just simply nonchalantly mention the gay people in your life or in the world without it being a big deal. I think it's doable. And it's also very hard to object to. Mm -hmm. And I feel that same. I actually feel that same way about literature and other kinds of curriculum moves that it's when we were like, it's a very special episode of Read Aloud. (laughs) 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 We're going to watch this music video. And, you know, it's like all of a sudden it becomes objectionable. But Mm -hmm. if it just happens, like, I don't know, I see this myself when I'm watching TV and there's a commercial and there happens to be a gay couple just slipped in. Mm -hmm. It doesn't jump out to me as much as the commercial where the entire commercial has a gay couple at the center of it. And that's their big rebellious act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think about, you know, the side of you that is the disruptor, the agitator, the fearless advocate for so many different kinds of kids. And again, there goes that nuance and that dichotomy with your story, because you do it in these very subtle, constant, clear ways which I feel like is a mentor text for me, if you will, of studying the language of how you normalize all different kinds of families in a conversation without having a big coming out episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that that anything, I feel like it's that, I guess it's back to that whole idea of differentiation versus universal access, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. here's the very special shelf for your gay books, and here's the very special shelf for your people mm-hmm. with disabilities. And like, instead of just, here's funny books, and here's books with characters that mm-hmm. will make you cry or whatever. I feel like, I mean, I do believe in identity. I'm not suggesting that we're getting rid of identity but I feel like the inclusiveness thing and always asking ourselves like who's included and who's not and how can we make it just a regular I mean it is a regular part of our lives and again with my tangents but I do think it's very similar to what sex educators tell you about sex is like when you make it such a giant deal Mm -hmm. kids get shame you know like when you talk about certain parts about growing up and changing bodies and all of that shame gets attached. But when you just, if a kid asks a question and you answer it matter of factly, they read your response and they take their cues for what's appropriate socially from you. And I feel like people who are not gay take their cues from us. And if we're acting ashamed or afraid, I do wonder if that's part mm-hmm. of the response. Not, I'm not suggesting that I'm blaming anybody, but mm-hmm. I do think that Sometimes it helps if we're calm and matter of fact. I think it's disarming. Well, I think it's all something that like everyone can practice, right? Like most people listening to this podcast are wanting to do something different, right? Are wanting to to become more of an ally or see if there's other things they can do. And like practicing a sense, whether you're queer or straight or whatever, however you identify, practicing a sort of I, I love that that word nonchalance. Is that even the right word? It is nonchalantism. <laughs> Nonchalantite. Nonchalantite. Practicing some of that, right, is something that we we can all practice, and I think that's that's a huge takeaway. The other thing I just want to highlight is something that you you sort of moved past, but I think is important. Where you're talking about like the shelf of gay books, right, mm-hmm. or the shelf of books for kids with this thing or that thing, and like. You know, it's interesting to think that inclusion 
that is an inclusion, right? Like having a shelf separate <laughs> from the rest of your books. Like I'm, I'm have, sort of realizing it right now, like by definition, that's not inclusive. No. Because it's separate, right? You have a rainbow flag on it. It's completely separate from the rest of the books. Instead, just including those books in a collection, not only is that better for the kids in your class, but it actually also probably won't get as much attention if that's something you're scared about. So Colleen, this will not surprise you, but I have a top five list of questions for you that we've <laughs> been asking every guest here on the podcast. Okay. I'm very excited to hear I your I don't think answers. I know your answers, which is thrilling to me. Here's your first question. <laughs> One thing that you will never see me without is my seltzer. Ah, oh, good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no, yep. Do you have a current flavor? Right now, it is Pamplemousse. Oh, yes. it's a classic. Yeah. Yep. We've been really down with a grape recently. I'm not going to say the brand name because we don't want to do that kind mm -hmm. of product placement, mm -hmm. but there is a grape flavor that is pretty pretty to die I'm for. Gonna have to, I'm going to have to try I that. I made my way. Okay. I'm sending you a case. <laughs> what is your favorite article of clothing? I really spent a lot of time thinking about this one, and you would think that I have an answer. <laughs> I can go kind of generic and say shoes. Mm -hmm. I, like, I like all shoes I would, or <laughs> i like well no i don't actually i like like three pairs of shoes okay I'm okay very, i'm very i mean i know you just, buy, i know you have a type of thing so describe a pair of the shoes so we have a vision so it's not just all shoes it's a specific pair or like yeah, a sure. type of clothing or or a type of clothing Do uh, i think we should just go with shoes all right, let's go with shoes we're gonna go with shoes i'm gonna go with flat how about that Flats. all right I never ever wear heels Great. never never what was your first concert uh, it would be Wham UK with uh, Chaka Khan and Katrina and the Waves. Good Lord. I did not know That's that. That's incredible. I know. It's pretty good. That's, That's really impressive. good. Yeah. Your first queer icon? Did I have to know they were queer at the time? I did not. <laughs> I did not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to say Boy George. There oh. you go. Well done. Well done. Yeah, a lot, lot, of, lot of conversations about Boy George. So Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fantastic. And do you have a current queer icon? Well, I mean, I would say that my ultimate queer icon is Leslie Feinberg. Um, okay. Well, yep. yep. No longer with us, so that makes yep. it current, yep. not necessarily, yep. but... Ultimate. But absolutely. icons are timeless, absolutely. Leslie is the ultimate mm -hmm. queer icon. Ultimate. Listeners, if you don't know who that is, you should Google her immediately. Um, Colleen, I want to thank you. You are, of course, our friend, but you are always our mentor. And in this conversation, you gave me something else to think about. And as always, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you too, too. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you. Beyond the Letters is a production of Heinemann Publishing and the Heinemann Podcast. To learn more about our guest this week, visit blog.heinemann.com.